Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here at the Farnborough Air Show outside London, one of the world's leading air shows with air chiefs from around the planet industry executives from the companies that serve them, as well as aircraft. Our coverage here is sponsored by Leonardo DRS and Farnborough International. And we're, uh, we have with us as our first guest at this uh, uh, historic show at the, still commemorating as we saw by uh, flyby for the Royal Air Force's 100th anniversary, Matthew Bromberg, who's the president of uh, Pratt & Whitney uh, Military Engines. Matthew, great seeing you again. Good morning. It's great to see you. It's great to be here at this 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force. It's been an incredible week. Uh, it, it has been. Uh, the Royal International Air Tattoo was was really amazing, and, we, and uh, you know everybody was out there. I think you were out there as well. It was yes. a very very busy time. Um, let me start. Congratulations. Uh, you guys have a handshake agreement. Lockheed Martin does uh, with uh, the Pentagon on Lot 11 for low rate initial production for the uh, F-35. You guys, of course, are the F-135. You know the 35 has no go without the Pratt and Whitney F-135 in it. Um, it's you know there's still a lot of discussion about the cost of the jet and yet folks lose sight of the fact that for example on your end you guys have taken 52 percent of the cost out of the engine from LRIP 1 all the way to LRIP 11 uh, but now the focus is also further cost reductions on the engine as well as a 50 percent reduction in sustainment yes. cost talk to us a little bit about how you guys are going to do this both on the production side because it's already been pretty aggressive the more aggressive you go the harder kind of it is to try to get that incremental cost out Talk to us about the models you guys are using on the sustainment side of things, but also on the production. Right, right. Well, first, you know, the Joint Program Office and the U.S. government, they're a demanding customer, as they should be. You know, we need to provide the most capable, the most affordable, the most available, and the most adaptive system uh, for the warfighter. So everything we've done to date has been successful. We've taken 52% of the cost out of the engine since the first production engine. We're very proud of that. That was done with coordination of the Joint Program Office. We funded that, they funded that, they did two-thirds of the funding, we did one-third. And over the first 400 engines, we achieved that cost reduction. It's not easy. It was over 1,200 tasks in terms of improving the engineering design or improving the supply base. But as we look forward, there's more to do. So we're going to be focused on further cost reduction of the engine, and we're going to be focused, as you said, on sustainment. To focus on the engine, we will continue the same methodology we had in the past, engineering changes where applicable, and finding opportunities to be more productive in the supply base. Now, to be fair, it's getting harder. But we've identified another 400 tasks, and we're going to target a half percent year-over-year uh, real reduction over the next 450 units. That won't be easy to do, but we think with joint funding, um, there's a chance to achieve that. As you know, as we get out to 800 units, we're going to flatten out on the learning curve, and it'll be hard to take additional cost out. But that's why then we're going to shift the focus on sustainment. Sustainment cost is going to be the next frontier. As we look today, we see a path to take 50% of the sustainment cost out of the F-135. 50%. That means we'll deliver F-135 fifth-gen fighter engine performance for the same price it is to maintain an F-100 fourth-gen. That's a phenomenal challenge, but it's one that we want to undertake because we need to deliver that cost-effective sustainment. Now, the way we do that is rather simple. First, keep the engine on wing. Keep it extremely reliable. The engine's hitting 97% mission capable today. It's exceeding all targets, so we're very confident it'll be the most reliable fighter engine in the class. Second, it's to continue to improve the work scope of the engine. We know how to do that. We know how to optimize the work scope. We know how to speed the work scope. We know how to optimize the material selection, develop repairs. There's no silver bullet here when you do this, but it's a lot of tasks that we at Pratt & Whitney know how to do. 
we've been sustaining engines for 80 years. Uh, we've been sustaining engines around the world. We sustain 90,000 commercial engines. So we apply all that methodology to supporting the F-135. So sustainment cost reduction is the next frontier. We're focused on it, and we can deliver that 50% reduction. Um, let me, uh, when, uh, you know, while you were talking, I was, uh, I was thinking about uh, your, your slogan, dependable engines, yes. which, is, which is on the logo, which anybody who is an aviation history fan yes. uh, absolutely loves, uh, loves the logo. And, and that little, uh, 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 little statement on, 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 the, on a badge that goes on every engine. Um, how much of an investment will the government have to make and you guys have to make in order to get there? You mentioned joint investment. Yep. How much money are we talking about? How much money do you have to spend up front in order to be able to get those long-term savings, as you said, over the next 400, 800 engines? So we look at each investment as a standalone and determine the payback. As an example, since we launched the program, we've put almost $200 million into reducing the cost of the F-135. We put a third of it on the table and the government put two-thirds on the table. As we look at sustainment cost, we're now assessing what that cost will be. But the payback will be infinite when you think about the volume of engines and the number of operators and the amount of hours out there. But again, each investment has to stand on its own merit. And that's the process we're going through now. The initial, um, the initial improvement will come because the fixed investment to set up the depot infrastructure will naturally trade away. We're setting up the depots, we're setting up repair lines, we're setting up the tooling required to support the engine. As that fixed investment finishes and more engines come out, that's going to be the initial tailwind on sustainment cost reduction. And then we'll start investing in work scoping, limit expansion, repair development, material solutions, all required to achieve that final part of the 50%. Um, where uh, you guys have the digital depot concept, you have the command dashboard, uh, and then you also have your Gator Works, uh, your version of uh, animal-related works. Uh, there's a Phantom Works, there's a Skunk Works, you guys have Gator Works. Yes. How are each one of these elements coming to play as you work, right, for better diagnostics, better data, uh, better artificial intelligence in terms of diagnoses, but also the insertion of technology, which is, it's a double-edged sword, yeah. right? Because it could actually increase costs for some folks. You know, so w walk us through how all three come together to drive where you want to go. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because our focus is actually today on sustainment for all of our large military engines. We have almost 8,000 military engines. Uh, almost 4,000 of them are F-100s. And that is the primary fighter engine in the world today. And so even today on that engine, we're focused on investing in sustainment. We recognize that we have to be able to support the warfighter tonight or tomorrow and the F-135 don't matter. So we're supporting the F-100, the F-117, the F-119, even the TF-33. All the Pratt & Whitney engines get the same level of investment for sustainment. We're doing four things that'll apply to the F-135 in the future, but I'm gonna apply today for the F-100 and the F-117, the F-119. The four things are, first, we created a dedicated sustainment organization. We brought in some experts from the commercial side of Pratt Whitney that have the latest commercial technologies and experience in terms of IT, in terms of maintenance activities. They're going to leverage those commercial experiences in terms of speed and productivity. And they're now organizing themselves around our sustainment infrastructure in the military side. So a dedicated organization with a new professional leading it. And the three things that he's already done is first, we're investing in putting material on the shelf. One of the fundamental differences between the commercial and military world is that we generally wait for a contract from our government customer and then we respond. And in the commercial world, inventory and solutions are put on the shelf waiting for the customer to order. We're gonna marry the two together. We're putting $2 billion worth of material on the shelf to support the US warfighter and our allies so that when they do need the material and they do sign the contract, 
it's there ready for them. We think that's an investment that's worth taking. We know they're going to need those solutions, and that'll speed us up to providing low-cost, sustainable parts. We also realize that in this aerospace um, cycle we're in, that we need to get in line the supply base. And if we don't hold our place in line for our military customer, it's going to be hard to get them in later because of the demand on the commercial side. So that's the first thing we're doing. The second thing we're doing are the items you talked about. We have uh, invested in our digital technologies, and there's two focus areas. The first is on our fleet command suite of technologies. To be clear, we've been monitoring data off engines for decades. We know how to collect the data. We know how to analyze the data. But it comes in disparate ways. And so we're combining all those data sources together to provide the operator a single dashboard so they can look at the health of the engine, ranging from the prognostics data that comes off the F-100 or the F-119 so they can assess and eliminate unnecessary engine removals. In fact, we've reduced F-100 removals by 50% using that data analytics to understanding where they are in the log logistics process. So Fleet Command will marry all these technology streams together to give the user a real-time assessment of the health of the engine and their sustainment needs. That'll improve engine time on wing and improve the flow through the sustainment infrastructure. The second thing we've launched is our digital depot partnership with Oklahoma City um, Heavy Maintenance Center. And what we're doing down there is we're trying to bring technology that have been in existence in the design world and the manufacturing world, but not yet into the maintenance world, we're just bringing them to the floor. So simple things like going digital, going paperless. If you walk any MRO facility, any sustainment facility, they're not there yet, we're going digital. We're going to go beyond that, though. We're going to scan parts using the latest non-destructive technologies so we can get a better indication of failure modes, wear modes, where do we need to develop new repairs, where do we need to put more parts on the shelf. So by having all these digital technologies converge on the depot, we think we're going to provide a um, huge improvement in turnaround time and a huge improvement in sustainment costs. Turnaround time alone, we think we can reduce by 30% just by going digital with inspection technologies. That saves time, that saves money, that saves inventory, that reduces spare engine requirements. All that will bring real value to the warfighter. So those technologies we're launching on the F-100, F-117, F-119, they will be part of that cost reduction strategy on the F-135. And what about on uh, Gatorworks? How does Gatorworks play into this? So Gatorworks is focused on the uh, development side. It'll also be focused on the sustainment side. But our customer has been, on the one hand, very complimentary of Pratt & Whitney with the engines we've developed. If you look at the F-135, it's 13 times more reliable at 100,000 hours of service than the F-100 was when it reached 100,000 hours, 100, hours of service, 13 times. We're very proud of that heritage, especially with the reputation we have for single engine reliability. Now to be clear, we've improved the F-100 reliability, the F-119 reliability. Those engines all set standards uh, for reliability for the industry. But at the same time we have that development cycle, we're getting asked to do things faster and do things differently and to be more agile. So we spent a lot of time over the past year thinking about what does agile mean for Pratt & Whitney military engines. And we recognize that we need to do something differently. So we took a team and we put them off-site. And that's our Gatorworks team. And we gave them three simple rules and one objective. The rules are use all of our intellectual property, don't hurt anybody, and don't break the law. And the objective is take 50% of it out. And it means cost or development time or weight or anything else that we can come up that becomes an objective or requirement. So they're off working four projects. We're not going to discuss the projects today, but I can tell Adaptive. you. Adaptive. We're not going to discuss the projects today, 
but they are really changing the way we look at things. And we have so many wonderful processes. They want to leverage the good processes that drive the safety reliability record. But at the same time, as an example, uh, one of the things that we're challenging is which suppliers we work with. So we have suppliers we've worked with for decades. Um, but there's some suppliers that we can't work with in our large engine business because they don't have all the prerequisites, the requirements. This team is a little bit more agile and they're going to commercial suppliers and they're asking them to participate in our aerospace programs. Another example, we're digital from inception. So we have many suppliers and, and um, processes that are still paper driven. We are migrating to digital. It takes a long time for a company like Pratt & Whitney to migrate to digital. Everything this team does from inception is digital. It's in three dimension, it's digital. That limits some suppliers that we work with, but it also speeds us up long term. Uh, a third example, procurement. We have a complicated regulated procurement process. There are some times where this team is actually procuring things on a credit card. And that's a type of agility that sounds simple, but as you know in the aerospace industry is sometimes hard to achieve. So we're really excited about what that team is doing and the projects that they're working on and look forward to some exciting outcomes. Um, uh, cybersecurity, um, you just mentioned that, um, and the Pentagon is, is changing its cybersecurity yep, standards. Yep. Um, Secretary Mattis is, uh, you know, basically ratcheting up the pressure both within the Pentagon, but also on the entire contracting base with new standards that are going to uh, come into effect regarding data uh, protections. Right. Uh, as the CEO of a key um, company that actually has a, a tremendous amount of secret sauce that goes into that engine to give you that reliability and that power. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing and what, how much cost will be associated with that? I think, every, you know, um, as, 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 you know the, the way I look at it, you know, from a Chinese perspective, if it was really that dear to you, you all of you would have protected it uh, better, not making any excuse for something. Now folks really are focused on uh, trying to drive that ball forward. What does that mean for you guys? How much cost is associated with it in order to be able to safeguard what are critical national security secrets? Yeah, it's a great question. And protecting our intellectual property and protecting our classified programs is the utmost importance to Pratt & Whitney. So we are adhering to all the requirements that are flown down with us and we're going beyond those. We work closely with the Air Force to look at the requirements that come down from cybersecurity. We also have an internal team that evaluates everything we do to try and put additional protective measures in place. And the cost of that, while not insignificant, is well worth it when you look at the cost of these technologies and the years that we've invested to create them. So cybersecurity is one of those laws, those requirements that we uphold across all of our programs and we will go beyond those requirements to ensure that we're protecting everything we do. It's actually good investment for us. This is our business. And, and also demand that of your subcontractors, right? Because some of these breaches have happened at a much lower level. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. We had a supplier conference recently, and you know, one of my key messages to them was compliance. You know, these programs are critical. And not only is the technology critical to Pratt Whitney, but the technology that's in the supply base on how they manufacture and some that have design knowledge, that itself is critical. And so we want them to participate in the program. We want them to improve the productivity, but they have to protect the intellectual property that they themselves have. And so that's a key message we deliver to the suppliers as well. TF-33, yes. uh, a stalwart engine, oh, yes. uh, powered the 141, still powers the 52, yes. uh, still powers uh, the Sentry fleet, still powers the Rivet Joint fleet. I mean, still powers the Global Hawk fleet. We're still discussing Global Hawk re-engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and now there's a drive to at least re-engine the B-52. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit on 
you know, a great franchise for you guys, yep. still installed base. Uh, somebody a long time ago told me like, hey, we love those engines because, you know, they're, it's just long term and it's a gift that keeps on giving. On the other hand, um, you know, the customer is always trying to figure out ways to try to change right. that dynamic. What's the market outlook for that engine and for B52 re-engineering? Because we've been talking about this now for 20 years. Right. Uh, it looks like it may happen, but it's still been a 20 year discussion. Right, right. Look, I'm glad you asked that question. So there are about a thousand TF33s flying today, most of them on the B52 program. And we can sustain those engines as long as the Air Force wants. So as we look at a re-engineering program today, we think sustainment of the TF33 sorry, is required through at least 2035. So we're working on that sustainment exercise every single day. We know how to procure those parts. When we find suppliers that no longer want to participate in a program of this vintage, then we use our volume on other military programs and commercial programs to get other suppliers to participate. So we leverage our combined volume. We can get suppliers on board. We're working with the Air Force in Oklahoma City on sustainment. So as long as the Air Force needs to fly the B-52, we'll have TF-33s available for them. As we look beyond that program, yes, we'll participate in a B-52 re-engineering study. And there, another way we're trying to be agile is to use our commercial off-the-shelf offerings and provide an engine for the B-52. In this particular case, we think the PW-815 is a fantastic option that'll fit uh, right on the aircraft. It will not require any major pylon changes. It's going to provide a huge incremental benefit in terms of fuel burn and meet all the thrust and power requirements. So that's the offering that we'll put forward at the right point in time. We're participating in the study, but our focus today is on TF-33 sustainment because no matter what happens on a re-engineering program, we have to maintain the TF-33. Uh, and, and it's a, and I have to say, uh, having spent a lot of time flying around on them, uh, a, lo a lovely, uh, lovely engine. It's uh, very evocative of an earlier age of, yeah. of aerospace. Um, let me ask you about the F-119. Yeah. Um, the Air Force has been putting very, very high utilization rates on the F-22 force, uh, doing a lot of incredibly novel and highly classified things uh, in a lot of places around the world. That means engines <laughs> burning uh, more. And a lot of talk about sustainment and even some talk about whether new manufacture is going to be necessary at some point. You know, what kind of conversations are you having with the Air Force on that issue, given that the airplane is uh, a game-changing capability that's in the inventory still and will have to remain there for decades? Look, we're very proud of the F-119 performance, uh, and, and we're excited to see it get such utilization out there. So we've been focused on the past couple years on supporting the sustainment activities, those technologies and investments that I have talked about, all that applies to the F-119 program as well. We're continuing to support them as they enter their depot wave. We feel very confident about the reliability of the engine. We feel very confident about the sustainment support. And we feel very confident about the cost effectiveness of that propulsion system. So our focus today is on that existing sustainment and we're meeting all the Air Force requirements. Um, you're a veteran, yes, you're I a am. former submariner, yes. uh, and uh, you also head up uh, the company's veterans' uh, efforts. I do. Uh, talk to us on both parts, because you've, you've said to me that actually there's a remarkable similarity between the aerospace business and submarining, yes. which some people might not uh, as intuitively get. Uh, how are they similar? And talk to us about what you're doing on veterans' programs. So let me talk about vets first, and then we'll talk about submarines second. You know, uh, veteran initiatives are a key part of what we do at Pratt & Whitney. We have about 15% of our workforce or veterans. Within the military engines program, it's 30%. We hire veterans for many reasons. We hire them because they have the values that we at Pratt & Whitney look for in our employees and our team members. We hire veterans because they have the experience, often direct experience in terms of maintaining, sustaining, and developing engines, having worked for various parts of the Air Force and other services. We hire veterans because uh, they know our customer. 
many of them have relationships that go back 20 years, which helps bridge the, the corporate way of communicating with the military way of, of communicating. And finally, we hire veterans because it's the right thing to do. Not only do we hire veterans, we're very focused on hiring their spouses. Um, you know, we obviously are a big employer in Connecticut, and we have a lot of opportunities both at Pratt & Whitney and our other divisions. So when veterans are leaving the service at the rate of about 1,000 a day, we're looking for them and their spouses and trying to find new communities in Connecticut near our factories where they can find employment for themselves and be part of the community. So the veteran, the veteran spouse, and their family, it's a big part about what we're doing. As we look forward, you know, we're going to continue to invest in veterans because we recognize all those things that I just talked about. And one of the ways that we're investing them is our employee resource group. So we have today 1,500 people at Pratt & Whitney on 15 different sites that are actively focused on the elements I just talked about. Recruiting veterans, retraining veterans, trying to rejoice in some of the things that we've done, celebrating Veterans Day and other events throughout the year. And then, most importantly, returning to the community. They're very active in charities uh, in Connecticut and other parts of the country. So that Veterans Initiative is paying huge dividends with not only the productive leadership that we get and the teaming, but also their contribution back to the community. So I'm very excited about what our veterans organization has done. And uh, last thing, uh, you served aboard USS Boston, uh, SSN 703, uh, very early Flight 1 uh, Los Angeles class boat. How is submarining similar to the aerospace industry? Well, look, you take a steel tube and you put thousands of valves and pieces of equipment in there and a nuclear reactor and 125 people, and you put it underwater in salt water and put it to depths that will crush most things, it's a pretty adverse environment. Put a bunch of torpedoes in there, it gets even more interesting, right? right? Aerospace is no different, right? The demands of aerospace require teamwork, they require systems knowledge, they require exotic materials, they require fantastic manufacturing processes and incredible design knowledge. I often tell people, you know, an engine is 4,000 unique parts, almost 10,000 parts. They have uh, exotic materials, exotic coatings, finishes that are nicer than a mirror, clearances that are finer than a strand of hair. We put them all together and they spin at 10,000 RPM and they're at temperatures greater than 2,000 degrees. That's a tough environment. They're some of the most complex machines ever made. So you can see there's some parallels between the submarine force and the engine industry in aerospace. Um, you know, the other last parallel share is that the quality assurance system that we use in aerospace today actually came out of the submarine force uh, related to the Thresher incident. So. We learned in the submarine force about quality, created the Subsafe Quality Assurance Program. That's the genesis of the aerospace quality program today. Outstanding. Another thing to be thankful for for Hyman G. Rickover. Hey, Matthew Bromberg, President Pratt & Whitney Military Engine. Sir, always a pleasure. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you very much. Nice to see you. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Yeah.